0: In 1984, there were some researchers out of Northwestern University. Northwestern University is, of course, a university just outside of Chicago, Illinois, here in the United States. And they pulled together a group of individuals to study, to do research on. Uh, these individuals were primarily students there at Northwestern University they had a specific thing in common. None of them owned a VCR. A VCR, you probably thought I was going to say some like medical phenomenon or something, right? No, just a VCR. Now, for those of you that were born prior to 2008 when they discontinued using VHS tapes or making 2000, 2008, making VHS tapes, a VCR is how we used to watch videos in our own home. We didn't know what streaming was or CDs or anything like that. And I say that for my own kids who are who are watching. So the VCR and they put these people in a room and they asked them to write down all of the reasons why they think that they should buy a VCR all the positives that a VCR could bring into their lives. And so they began to write things down and and, and many of them wrote things like, well, it gives us an activity to do with our family together. If we have a VCR, then we can get movies and we can watch things together as a family. Because they were students, they also thought, well, you know, there's a lot of content that that is provided through movies and through documentaries and other things that will contribute to our education. It'll it'll help us to see things and understand things better and, and to enlighten us. They wrote other things as well. The researchers then asked them to list all of the reasons why they should not own a VCR. And they had a hard time coming up with lists of similar size. At the end of their little study, they asked them to indicate on their forms how likely are you to purchase a VCR. In almost every single one of the subjects, said that they were very likely to, in the very near future, go out and buy a VCR. They were sent on their way. A new set of subjects of the exact same demographics were brought in. This new set of subjects also had one thing in common. They did not own a VCR. And they were asked by the researchers at Northwestern University to list all the reasons why they should not buy a VCR. And so they began. They said, well, it would probably take away time from the family. One side says, it's good for the family. The other side said, it would probably take away time from the family. They also listed things like, you know, most, of, most movies out there are mindless anyway, so why would we waste time on that? They wouldn't add much to our, to our knowledge, to our education, so, so we're not going to get the VCR and they listed other things. Then they were asked to list positives about buying a VCR and and the researchers found that they had a hard time doing that. So then they asked these subjects, how likely is it that you will buy a VCR in the near future? And almost all of them said, it is very unlikely that we will ever buy a VCR. Now this study, this similar study, has been done dozens of times since that initial Northwestern study on all kinds of topics. Things from the very mundane and unimportant, like buying a VCR, to things that are a little more important, like buying a car, to to things that are even more important, like who your your life partner will be, to things that are even more important, like how will you deal with end-of-life matters with your family member. And over and over and over again, the, the, the findings of the very first study have been confirmed. If you start with the positive, almost always those people end with the positive. If you start with the negative, almost always those people end with the negative. Here's their line. Once a frame is established, a frame of thinking is established in one's head, it is very difficult to dislodge that frame of thinking and ever take an opposing action. Once a frame of thought is established in one's head, it is very hard to ever dislodge that type of thinking and take an opposing action. I can't. I don't know how. I haven't been trained. I don't know enough. I don't have that spiritual gifts. Are phrases that are probably familiar to some of you because they are familiar to me. And they're phrases that I hear when we encourage people to get involved in some way in serving the Lord, specifically in witnessing or sharing God's message with others. In fact, they might be familiar to you, not just because you've said them, but because you've heard them. You have that pang of conviction that you should say something to that friend, but, but, but you think in your mind, I can't, I don't know how, I don't know what to say, I haven't been trained. That's not my spiritual gift. And once that frame of thinking is established in your brain, it is very hard to dislodge. It is very hard to dislodge. In fact, it takes intentional effort. It takes someone else coming in and giving you a new frame of thinking. And so today I want us to establish a new frame of thinking. A new frame of thinking. Because if we don't establish a new frame of thinking, you will very likely not only never buy a VCR, duh, but you also If you start with, I can't, I don't know how, I need more training, that's not my spiritual gift, you will likely never take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you to witness for him. So here is the new frame of thinking that I want us to embed in our minds today. I can and I'm willing because I know all it takes is for me to be any place at any time, willing to use any means, and God can do something through me. That's your new frame of thinking, okay? I can because I'm willing, and I know that all it takes is for me to be any place at any time willing to be used by God through any means. I know this to be true because Matthew chapter 25, which this series is based upon Matthew chapter 25, 25 beginning in verse 14, Jesus told a story and it was about three individuals and each of these individuals were given talents by their boss, by their master, it says in the Bible. And the talents represent all kinds of things. Last week we talked about how the talents represent time and this week we're talking about how how talents represent something else and next week we're going to talk about how talents represent our treasures. But today what talents represent is our opportunities, our opportunities for influence on others. Two of the men in the story saw the talents that they were given by their boss as just that, opportunities, an opportunity that they could use to improve upon the circumstances and benefit their master's mission, their boss's direction. For one of them, the boss gave five talents, five opportunities. And verse 20 says, the, man, the master came back and the man said to his, his boss, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five more talents. I've, I've looked at it from the positive and I've taken advantage of the opportunity. Here are five more talents. Verse 22, the man with two talents said, oh, I looked at this great opportunity to have two talents. And now here, I give you two more talents. So now you have four talents from me. Now this, of course, pleased the master. And the master said to them, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will make you faithful even more. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But the third individual, the Bible shows us that the third individual immediately looked at the situation and looked at it from the perspective of, I can't, I don't know how, this isn't my gift, I don't know enough, And so what did he do? The Bible tells us that in verse 24, that this man said, listen, master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so here's what I did with this opportunity you gave me. I was afraid and I went and hid it in the ground. And now I'm gonna dig it back up and I'm gonna give you just what you gave to me. Nothing more, I didn't take advantage of the opportunity you gave me. Now this made the boss unhappy. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I was someone who who reaped where I did not sow and gathered where I did not scatter seed and yet you didn't do anything with it. You didn't even invest it in the bank to, to get me some interest. The three servants represent us. Of course, the master represents Jesus. Now, I want you to understand what's implied within this passage, what's implied within this text. What's implied is that all of us are given talents. All of us are given opportunities. All of us are given uh, uh, moments of influence in which we have the privilege of advancing the mission of God forward. There is, there is no question here that this is what it's saying. Jesus is saying, every single one of you has been given these talents, these opportunities to do something with. And Jesus holds the two up that look at those opportunities. as just that, opportunities. But, but the one who says, well, I can't. I'm, I don't know how. I need more training. I don't have that spiritual gift. They don't advance the mission of Jesus forward. We need to shift our mind frame today, to I can, I'm willing, because all it takes for me is to be in a specific place at a specific time, willing to use whatever means, and God can do something through me to advance his mission. I can, and I'm willing. That's your new frame of mind when it comes to witnessing for Jesus. Now, I want to give us two Bible examples and then I'm going to turn over to my friend, Anthony Kent, and he's going to share with you a modern day example. Well, not so modern, but kind of modern day example, how that example has impressed upon his life. And then he's going to give us the opportunity to practice this new frame of mind thinking. I can, I'm willing, because all God needs is for me to be any place at any time, through any means, and he can do something. Turn with me to the very old story in the Bible. Found in 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. If you grew up in a church setting, this will be a familiar story to you. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. But he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She's a slave, in other words. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of this leprosy. What is your talent? What is your opportunity that you can use for God? Being ready to use any opportunity that you have to advance God's mission. Did the young girl fulfill her opportunity, fulfill her talent? The story in 2 Kings continues and tells us that that Naaman, when he heard this, I don't know how this girl did this, but, but Naaman, when he heard this, he went to his master and told him what the girl had said, went to the king and told him what the girl from Israel had said. And the king said this, by all means, go and find this prophet from just this one girl, a girl that we refer to in our Bible stories as the little maid, because we have no idea what her name was. She saw her opportunity and she didn't say, well, I can't. I don't know how I don't have the training. No, she just saw her opportunity and she used her voice and she spoke for God. What was the result? The Bible tells us in verse 15, Naaman is healed from leprosy and he comes back to the prophet and he says to them, and he says to to the prophet, now I know, this is verse 15 of chapter five, now I know that there is no other gods in all the world except in Israel. Now I know that there's no other god in all the world except in Israel and then jumping down to verse 17 he says to him please let me your your uh, your servant be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again will never again make offerings or sacrifices to any other god but to the Lord your god This little girl took her opportunity and God's mission advanced God's mission advanced. I can, I'm willing, because God can use me in any place, at any time, through any means. Our frame of thought, I can, I'm willing, because God can use me at any place, in any time, through any means. Second illustration from the Bible. It just so happens both of our examples are wonderful women of 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 the Bible, and we praise God for these ladies that set this great example for us. Joshua chapter two. If you turn there, just back a few pages to Joshua chapter two. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. This is when the Israelites, Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. They're just outside of the promised land that God had had promised to give them, but then they had, had went astray and they'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they're just outside of that promised land. And Joshua is sending these spies into the land. And he says, I especially want you to look at Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the Bible tells us that Rahab didn't turn them over to the king. Instead, she hid the men. She had an opportunity. And here's why she hid the men because she says to them in the Bible, She said, we have heard about what your God did in delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt. We have heard about how your God separated the Red Sea. We have heard about how your God has has brought food from heaven for you for all these 40 years. We have heard, and she says, and you know what? No one else in this place may believe, but I've heard and I believe that your God is bigger than the gods that are in my city. And so she takes her opportunity. She sees her opportunity and she takes it. Verse 15. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She, was, she said to them, go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. And now the men said to her, the oath you made us swear will, will not be binding on us because she said to them, Hey, look, I'm going to help you. But when you come back, save me and my family. Unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own hands. heads. We will not be responsible. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away. This is verse 21. They departed and she tied a scarlet cord in the window. Now, I'm just guessing, but I would guess that Rahab, a prostitute, didn't know what she could or could not do. She probably didn't have very much training about how to be an effective witness or advancer of God's mission. I'm just guessing that that was not part of her training in prostitution. But, she realized that these men were from God, that they were bigger than the gods of her own people. And she did the one thing she could. She protected them and she tied a rope outside of her window. And when Jericho fell, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? When Jericho fell and all the walls came a-tumbling down, one piece of wall stood. One piece of wall stood. Stood. And Joshua chapter 6 and verse 25 says, But Rahab, and they emphasize it again. If you say, Why are you emphasizing the prostitute? It's because the Bible does. Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua, were saved. uh, Joshua saved them alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 by faith, prostitute the Rahab because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab saw her opportunity and she says, I can and I'm willing because I see that your God can do anything at any time through any means. And I will take my opportunity. And God's mission advanced. By the way, sometime read about Jesus' family line. There's a Rahab, a prostitute in that family line. Your talent is simply this: the opportunities that God gives you to advance his mission. And your frame of mind needs to be: I can, I'm willing, because I believe that God can do anything in any place at any time through any means. I can, I'm willing, I can. I'm willing. And today we want, you to, get, we want to give you an, op, an opportunity to practice this new frame of mind through a very, very easy act. And Anthony Kent is going to come up here. And Anthony, if you'll come up now at this time to share a testimony. He's gonna tell you a testimony from his family's history. He's gonna tell you how this testimony has impacted his life and what he's doing about it. And then he's going to invite you to say I can, I'm willing, because God can do anything through anyone at any time, in any place, and through any means. Thanks, Anthony. In 1846,
1: a man was born in Scotland and it was that man who changed my eternal destiny. He was the one who gave my great-great-grandfather The scarlet cord. My grandfather, great-great-grandfather, my grandfather's grandfather, his name was Tom. What else would you expect a great-great-grandfather to be called? His wife was Mary, and they lived in a place which was five days' journey from Sydney in the middle of nowhere in New South Wales, Australia. This was an era that predated motorcars. And there, on that farm, they grew wheat and sheep. They were blessed with 11 or 12 kids. That's how it was in those days, wasn't it? And Mary, with those children, she was in her mid-forties. She contracted pneumonia. And again, these are the days before antibiotics and treatment. And she got very sick with this. She was lying on her bed and Tom was there and she said to Tom, Tom, I'm going to die, but promise me. Promise me that when your time comes, you will meet me in heaven and bring the children with you. Tom didn't know how to keep the promise, but he made that promise. Mary died, and then Tom was caring for all those kids. The youngest one was still a baby, and on one particular day, he was plowing, and a guy on a bicycle, in the middle of nowhere, rode his bike up to him and talked to him. Who was this guy? This was Philip Rieke, who had been born in 1846 in Scotland. Philip Rickey was a happily married man in Scotland. His occupation was an engraver, you know, engraving on metal. He was happily married with four children and his wife died. He remarried again, but his second marriage was a disaster. They divorced, and so Philip Rieke, with his four children, looking for a new life, emigrated from Scotland to Australia. He arrived in Melbourne, and somebody gave him a book called Thoughts on Daniel and Revelation by Uriah Smith. And that changed him. He accepted the gospel, and he became a Seventh-day Adventist, and he loved the message so much That he wanted to engrave that message on people's hearts. And so he left his trade and he became a literature evangelist. Pre motor cars. And so instead of getting a horse, which is what many of them did, a horse needed feeding, he got a bicycle. Could you imagine what a bicycle was like in the 1800s? And he rode that bicycle for thousands of miles through outback Australia. And he rode to my great-great-grandfather's farm. And these two older men met total strangers and Philip Rieke sold Tom Kent the great controversy. My great-great-grandfather read this book and it changed his life. There were many things in here that he struggled with. He checked it all out. There was one, and I'm embarrassed to say this, there was one particular night that he didn't like what he read and the book went across the room, if you know what I mean. He was particularly challenged with the Sabbath, but he did accept it. And then he shared it with his 11 children. To begin with, they thought he'd gone nuts. They thought he had what they called religious mania. He prayed for them, urged them, and finally they accepted. And then he shared the book with five other neighbouring families, had Bible studies with them, and they accepted it. And from that one visit of Philip Rieke, to my great-great-grandfather. Today, at an absolute minimum, there have been baptised 20,000 followers of Jesus, Seventh-day Adventists, at least 20,000. You see, many descendants became pastors. In in one generation alone, in, in my grandfather's family, five sons, five sons became pastors. Evangelism flows through the blood, a scarlet cord to be passed on. You know, in honour of Philip Rieke, there's a group of us, myself, Dr. Torben Berglund from the General Conference Health Ministries Department, and four other pastors. We're going to be riding our bikes. We're going to ride our bikes from Washington, D.C. to St. Louis. 1,200 miles. Over two weeks, we're taking all the back roads. Pray for us. We're doing this at our own initiative. This isn't a GC thing. This is at our own expense. And we're going to share the great controversy and some other literature. And you know, pray for us that we'll be safe. But pray for us also that we will meet people. Because when I ride my bike around here, I like the quiet country roads. And I'm forever seeing people walking their dogs. I'm forever seeing people just exercising, checking their mail, driving in or out of their driveway. And I'm thinking to myself, what if I could be like Philip Reakey? and just share something with them. So we're taking a quantity of great controversies with us to share. And I'm so thrilled, this, this is a lovely book. It really is. This is the whole great controversy here. It's not an intimidating size. You can see how, how slim it is. And this issue that we have here, it's the complete issue. It's on nice white paper. The the font is a nice size. I normally wear glasses to read, but I can read this without my glasses. And at the start of each chapter, there is what's called a... Let me just find it here. There's a QR code. Now, if you use your mobile phone and just zap this little emblem here, this QR code, your mobile phone will read the chapter for you. It'll read it for you in English or in Spanish. And so if you want to take one, there's enough here for each person to take one to share with a friend or even a stranger. And I've got to tell you folks, I'm no extrovert. I'm an introvert. I'm actually shaking inside now. I've been a pastor for 35 years, and every night before I preach, I have a troubled sleep because I've got to stand up in front of people. It's not an easy thing for me to be able to share. But this I know. If you're afraid of losing a friend by sharing the Gospel with them, Think about this, the best friend you will ever have is the person that you pass on the scarlet cord to, the Gospel. You will have a friend for eternity. Eternity. There's nothing more important than eternity, nothing more significant and it's a simple as giving them the scarlet cord that which saved Rahab, that which the little maid gave to some official we can share the gospel the salvation of Jesus, that's the only way to eternity a beautiful book to share, we're also sharing another book, Your Bible and You, that book I've got to tell you, it transformed my life. When my uncle baptised me as a teenager, he gave me as my baptismal gift, Your Bible and You. The week after I was baptised, I read that book. Normally for people, after they're baptised, they come down off the mountain, if you know what I mean. And it's a tough week. That week when I read, after my baptism, that book, Your Bible and You by Arthur S. Maxwell, I... The love of God just poured off every page. It's a gorgeous book. If you're not familiar with it, get it and share it with your friends. We have enough here for everyone to take one to share with a friend or a stranger. Don't miss this opportunity. Now is the time. If you take one, the book isn't designed to just sit on your shelf at home. The book is for you to share. And if you will share it, please take one as you leave today. Can I pray for you? Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the scarlet cord which you have through various means and methods given to each one of us. Now, Lord, empower us. Give us the courage. Help us to see the opportunities that you lay before us to give others that scarlet cord of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.